Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Arm Scholar Podcast. This is podcast number 16. And for this one, I have a really special guest for you guys. Um, I'm super excited about this, and I'll explain, I guess, why I'm more excited about this. But uh, with us today, we have John Lovell from the Warrior Poet Society. He is a veteran um, YouTuber content creator. I know people have issues with certain names, uh, trainer. He runs the Warrior Poet Society Network. Um, I believe he's also going to mention that he has a book coming out. So a lot of really cool things. And he just released a podcast, which I am candidly very much enjoying. So thank you, John, so much for joining us here on the podcast. It is really an honor to have you on. Thanks, man. And thanks for calling me a special guest. I wouldn't want to just be a guest, I suppose, <laughs> but a special guest. Yeah. I mean, I really feel like I'm starting a cut above. So thanks hey, for we, we have to hype it up. You know, it's a spe you're special in my heart. <laughs> As everybody can see, I'm decked out if, if you're listening to this, but I'm decked out in warrior poet uh, society merch too. So not, not a paid shill. This was all paid for my own money. <laughs> it means a ton. I do need to give you some swag. So <laughs> Oh, now, me, now they're going to say I'm a paid chill. Thank tell you. me what I can do to uh, <laughs> show you love. No, you never asked me for anything. That makes me want to offer. So here's my <laughs> offer. Let's get you. Yeah, so no, hey, thanks for supporting the brotherhood. We got a yeah. we got a good thing going on. You know, warrior poets are forces for good in a world where you know bad players uh, lurk. We just saw this uh, school shooting yesterday. Yeah. And holy cow, man, uh, some warrior poets took them down. I wish more had been on the scene beforehand. Yeah. So. Yeah. We can get into that a little bit later, but, you know, it was pretty impressive. The response, I think it was 14 minutes from the total call to putting down the shooter. But really, I think they released the video today. It was about four minutes from when they got on location to stopping the shooter, which is pretty impressive. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, John, if you just want to give us a, a quick spiel about who you are, what you do, and maybe what the Warrior Poet Society is and, and what was your purpose behind starting the Warrior Poet Society? Sure. I've got a kind of a crazy background where, you know, I've, I've, I've done some military hoorah kind of stuff. I've, I've been a foreign missionary for a few years, uh, did the whole college thing and got a degree. I've, I've started different businesses and uh, really uh, all that experience has kind of come to help you know, uh, help me on my journey. And I'll best describe it as my own little warrior poet path, my warrior poet way. And so um, uh, that journey has me trying to be a good dad and a good husband, but also a force for good in the world where violence lurks. And so I want to be able to be a, a good protector. And so I guess just a full bodied man in that I'm a, a warrior and I'm a poet, a lion and lamb, a lover and a fighter. Because uh, to be deficient in one of those areas, I think, is to be deficient in both uh, for real love protect. So anyway, uh, that that led to the founding of the Warrior Poet Society is I'm just kind of living out my journey and like minded folks jump on board and grow along with me through YouTube space or over on WPSN or streaming service where we're very active or social media or podcast or or whatever. Uh, but folks that just. The, the ethos resonates and they're on mission with me as brothers. Yeah. So the reason why I called you a special guest, and I think I've mentioned this before when I first met you uh, in person, I think it was like last year in Georgia. But uh, when I started my channel, I was watching you a lot on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And when I was conceiving of like, what did I want my name for my channel to be? 
um, it was really kind of a play a little bit based on, you know, the warrior poet, because, you know, I knew your guys' ethos and, you know, the purpose behind why you named your channel that. And for me, it was like, okay, what I guess would I kind of call myself with that dual like ethos? And it would really be like an armed civilian, someone who has purpose in that regards, but then also scholar, someone who's very thoughtful about what's going on in our country politically, but also more Second Amendment focused. So that's kind of the... Yeah. Um, why the arm scholar name came to be what it is now sometimes i say i really wish i would have maybe not named myself that but uh you know it was i owe a lot of that to you because at the time you know i was watching a lot of your stuff and a lot of your commentary and that was one of the reasons why i made the name of the channel so that's why it's really special to me to have you on here because it's kind of you know god works in very interesting ways and came very full circle well hey thanks for that i'm glad to have been an influence i was influenced uh by Dead Poets Society and uh, the end of Braveheart. They fought like mm. warrior poets, you know, and warrior poet is a really ancient kind of term, but society, anyway, I, I was watching some good movies. And so <laughs> everybody's influenced by, you know, somebody before us, nothing new under the sun, but I'm happy to help you on your journey. And I think it's a good name for a, a channel. When I first put eyes on armed scholar as, as a naming convention. I thought that, that that's right up my alley. I like that. I leaned in. So no, bravo. Keep it. It's good. Appreciate it. So I'm just going to jump in some random questions that I had that I, I came up with. Maybe you can you answer some of these. So uh, really you started focusing on your channel when I first started watching you, maybe you're doing stuff before, but there was a lot of training emphasis in your videos and you still do a lot of training emphasis in what you do. You just mentioned that you just got back from a trip uh, doing some training, some rifle courses. So um, can you talk to us a little bit about that? You know, what is your approach to training, self-defense, being civilians being armed, and maybe how you approach it different from maybe some other trainers and maybe where people would find value in what you're doing? Great. So yeah, uh, I really started out in the training industry here, the training side. And that grew into content creation. It wasn't the other way around. Mm -hmm. And so as, as a pro trainer, I was really doing night vision tactics for small units. Uh, and so that was fun, low light stuff, room clearing stuff. And then I branched into uh, pistol and rifle, but it's always centered around fighting, not competition, which I like competition mm -hmm. and uh, give thumbs up because I've, I've leaned on some competition guys and, you know, shred some uh, milliseconds off here and there and tightened up <laughs> groups who love the competitive guys, but really I'm more interested in making better protectors. Uh, now, I think most folks, even when I say that, who haven't really walked through the fires and done a good bit of training, don't really understand what I'm talking about. And the best way I could kind of pop the bubble is to say the only real way to get good at gunfighting is to gunfight. That's it, period. Mm -hmm. So that means all of the time we spend playing with guns and shooting paper on the range, all of it, it's kind of like hitting a heavy bag. It's good for you. It helps build some speed and some strength and whatnot, but it will not, it's no substitute for sparring. Really, it's supposed to get you ready for sparring. And once you're sparring, you never hit a, you never look at a heavy bag the same. It's mm -hmm. just a tool. That's a stupid tool. So is the flat range really good as a tool, but as soon as you fight in simulated, you know, uh, 
force on force encounters, which we do in like our pistol three or our one man room clearing class, all of a sudden light bulbs go on in young students' minds, and then they'll never look at the flat range the same way again. They'll see it for what it is. Before, the flat range was this technicolored, it was the big show, and they're simulating gunfights against paper targets and steel, and that's all well and good. I don't mean to pull that down. What I mean to do is keep it in its proper place and exalt training simulations even above it, where, where an instructor can run you through scenarios. And can, I can have shoot, students shoot each other. Uh, and when that happens, they actually start to grow in the flat range, which was all the rage before, goes from technicolor to drab gray. It's just a tool. <laughs> so uh, that's what we uh, show on our training classes over on WPSN, our app. And it's what uh, students will see face to face, intimately and viscerally in our training classes in person. Yeah, and there's an interesting, a few interesting jumping off points from there. But one of the questions that I want to ask you, and I, I ask a lot of guys who do quite a bit of training and you teach training um, in our community, if you want to call the Second Amendment gun community a community, which, it's, you know, that has connotations within itself because everybody has different perspectives. Um, do you feel like there is too much of an emphasis on gear, equipment, buying the newest, gucciest thing that Daniel Defense or Geisley or whoever releases over buying ammunition, training, and even just doing flat range stuff, not even um, going to do training or simunition related stuff? You know, what is your perspective on that? Yeah, gear is important, uh, but it's one of the least important out of all the kind of the big pillars of fitness and understanding tactical nuance and uh, it, skills and mindset. Then there's gear. And out of these five, gear is by far the least important. However, it still is important. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't want to just say, hey, have crummy, awful gear and yeah. train a bunch. I'm like, no, some, some good gear can definitely move some little hills. It just doesn't move mountains. Mm -hmm. So if you were a really crummy shooter, to put it in a way that everyone understands, and you buy an awesome gun, it may like a Band-Aid cover over a little bit of the fact that you suck, but you're still a sucky shooter with a really <laughs> expensive gun. Yeah. I'm like, I could have I could have made you better in five minutes of training than your five grand gun could have done. And so uh, uh, training, there's no substitute for good training. You can't buy your way out. Mm -hmm. uh, so what would you say to someone like, and I even feel guilty. So I, I just have a new rifle right over here. I just bought another Daniel defense upper and just built something. But you know, I have, you know, you're in the YouTube space the gun space and you train and you do all that stuff. You know, we have a little bit of a luxury of always getting to purchase and, and have the newest and greatest stuff really because it's part of our work. Um, it's yeah. a little bit, I feel like sometimes it's a little bit different because it's part of our business. Um, right. But what would you say to the average person who maybe has a good setup, where would you say, or what should they do to kind of make that first jumping off from just being a gun owner, maybe only going to the range? You know, some people I hear that, you know, they go like twice a year, you know, how do they start to progressively invest in training and then eventually maybe go do like one of your courses and then escalate to doing force on force munitions? Like how would you uh, talk to someone like that? Yeah, so I'm I'm a man that's all about balance. And so you, you already kind of led me into it, which I appreciate is to soberly look at your situation. 
I was a former special operations guy who now works in the gun industry for a living. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have some really pricey, ridiculous gun builds. But hey, I also have a good bit of budget stuff as well Mm -hmm. that I like. And then I've got everything in between. And so if you and your new bride of six months with a baby on the way, you want to be a good protector, but you're dead broke and man, you're paycheck to paycheck. Don't you dare buy that expensive Daniel Defense gun, which by the way, that's hard for me to say. It's like the words come out forcibly because I love Daniel Defense. You know, you brought it up. I'm like, I got a whole bunch of Daniel Defense right here. I like it a lot, but man... I remember some uh, times in my life where my wife and I we were just so broke. It would have been terrible stewardship for me to take, you know, take the limited funds we had and invest them in my cool guy guns. And so I'm like, nope, uh-uh. I had very, very little uh, many years ago. And, and, and so I want your marriage to be strong. I want you to be financially as, as you know, free is as much as that's relatively reasonable for your season. Hey, if you're, you know, bringing in the big bucks and you're like a 55 year old lawyer with your name on the side of a building, get the cool stuff, man, do, do whatever you want, you know, but I I would say guys beware uh, keeping up with the tactical Joneses. It's fool's gold training moves the needle more than the cool gun. Yeah, I mean, it was funny when you mentioned, you know, the responsibility also of just being a husband and, and being a good steward of your family. I remember when I was in law school and I had just moved out to Pennsylvania. At that time, I didn't have any firearms with me while I was in Pennsylvania. And all I really, I didn't have much to my name, but I knew what I could afford was just a Gen 3 used Glock that was going to be reliable. I think it cost me like $300. Um, and that was good enough. You know, I didn't go out there buying the most Gucci, you know, craziness also because, you know, in law school, I didn't have a ton of money. I'm going to school. I just needed something to defend myself and my family. Right. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit unfortunate, you know, because what we do on YouTube, you know, we do like to talk about the newest and best gear. And there's a lot of guys that do gun reviews and I, I love gun reviews and I love shooting videos of new guns, but, you know, having that perspective about where you are personally and, you know, you know, tactical keeping up with the Joneses, like you said, you don't need to do that, um, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. I actually want to bounce off. I want to skip a couple of my talking points because you already mentioned it. One of the things I really like about what you are doing on your channel, which is a little bit different than I guess some of the other uh, gun tubers or whatever you want to call people, um, is you talk a lot about your family, your ethos around your family, your wife, your children, um, And one of the things that I saw you talk about recently and you talk about quite a bit is dating your wife and holding your wife up above even potentially, I think maybe there was some commentary you said above even your children. Um, Can you speak a little bit on that? Cause that really hit me hard. And it's something that I am, I've definitely am focusing on more, especially as work in business becomes more important, but can you kind of explain, you know, to the audience, you know, what do you mean by dating your wife when you say that? Sure. Yeah. And so um, to your point, uh, some folks will pigeonhole us and be like, hey, warrior post. Like, you, oh, get like a gun channel. I'm like, well, kind of, we live for higher purpose, ready to sacrifice in the defense of others. So it's the whole gamut of lovers of truth and defenders of it. And so that that really puts everything under our umbrella of, of good, virtuous masculinity kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And, and I will just tell you, 
I care far more about the health of your marriage than what cool trigger you put in your Glock. I just don't, I don't care the rest is guns and gear and it's a means to an end, but loving your wife, you know, that's an end in and of itself. That's a really good thing. And I see a lot of crime, a lot of society falling apart, the degradation of our moral structuring in the country, a lot of the active killers that broke out, they had bad relationships with family, then absentee dad. And so you want to be a great defender of the world, be present for your kids and raise them healthy. And then there'll be forces for good in the world. They're not going to shoot places up. And so, holy cow, being you know, uh, eliminating violence isn't just shooting people. It's preventing it in the first place. And we can do that by being good dads. Uh, I want to raise healthy sons. I've got two boys, a nine and 10 year old, love them very much. But I recognize in a modern 21st century America, we have a um, problem with idolatrizing our kids. A lot of families uh, um, will make them the center of their universe. And when you do that, you turn them into little spoiled bratty Napoleons. They're little kings and queens. Uh, and they think the world is about them because we treat them like they are the center of the world. Uh, when you do that, you spoil them, you ruin them. They're miserable uh, to themselves, to their peers, and to their parents, if the parents are very honest. And so I think the best thing you could do is love your spouse greatly. And that's going to show the kids how to do loving marital relationship. Uh, and in the process, it'll show them that the world does not revolve around them. They're not the center of the universe, and they're part of the family that comes by in a support role. Uh, so my boys have lots of chores and responsibilities, and then they have quiet playtime. Hey, get out of here. It's mom, dad time, you know, and whatever. And we have regular dates, and we recognize that in a marriage, you're always making strides growing closer together, or you are, whether you realize it or not falling apart. And was this something that you have always done or is it something that maybe triggered where you thought, you know, I need to put more emphasis on my marriage, um, focus more on my wife above maybe my children? Because, you know, it's it's not a radical concept, but yet sometimes I guess in today's society, it is like you're mentioning a little bit of a radical concept because we've moved away from some traditional morals, what I would likely call what I would call Christian morals. Um, definitely in our society, we've moved away from those. And a lot of the times, especially in our society, we are so focused on the kids and kids getting everything they want, especially now today. And, you know, everything is at touch of your phone. You can get whatever you want. Um, and kids are a victim of that. So was there something specific that made this shift in your mind of, you know, dating your wife, focusing on your marriage? Um, or is there something you've always done? So our first two years of marriage was really difficult. I'm an intense guy. Uh, it's not that I'm overbearing necessarily or anything. I'm just intense. I'm a, I'm a passionate guy. So uh, I'll care about something as a 10 or a zero. You know, <laughs> there's not much yeah. in between. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, my wife is very similar. Is She is a strong gal, you know, so we're both pretty type A. And we had, we butt heads a good a bit in the first couple years of marriage. This this pretty personal stuff. Um, so uh, I, I was I was too harsh. I was too brutish, you know. Uh, and she was like most women today, man eaters. Um, you know, not not able to 
uh, allow a man in respect to allow me to take the leadership role because uh, through a biblical worldview, we decided I was the leader of the home and she was not. Um, so I'm in charge in our house, not her. You know, I'm, I'm the leader of our relationship, not her. Uh, and the fact of the matter is of like, I'm saying it in, in, in a very definitive way, because I'd like to solicit from the viewer a little bit of upset. It'll maybe add you to lean, uh, mm -hmm. make you lean in just a moment. Was I say this, um, everything rises and falls on leadership and 50, 50 leadership is a fiction. It works zero places in life. You have one CEO. Uh, you have one president, you have one head coach, you have one steering wheel in a car for a reason, you know, <laughs> and so someone's got to take the lead. Uh, now, how that works out of, of I, 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 my leadership mantle means that I'm supposed to be a servant leader to my wife. So, for instance, to to show you of like, all right. That's the truth. Now, the context that that truth lives in is uh, Jesus, when he washed his disciples' feet, uh, there's a neat scripture where it says, now Jesus, realizing all authority in heaven and earth had been given to him, he took out his outer robe, tied it around his waist, and then he washed his disciples' feet. And so it's like, oh, okay, so you were given authority and leadership to serve. And my wife and family feels that. They're not my vassals or slaves. And if you were around my family, you know, just dropped in on us any day of the week. You'd see a flourishing wife who is fully alive, bright eyed and doing stuff. And my kids as well. The lights are turned on. And so my home is flourishing. And even if you don't ideologically like what I am saying regarding leadership uh, of the home, it's working better than anything I have seen in culture. You want to you want to be healthy? Do the opposite of what culture is doing. And some of us have to take a hard look and say, hey, guess what? The progressives have progressed in the wrong direction. And a lot of the ancient paths were better. Return to some of those. So um, people won't like what I'm saying, but hey, it works. Consider the outcome of my faith. Yeah, well, that's why I said it may sound to people as controversial in some ways, but really, you know, it's, it's only because we've deviated from something that we've done historically for a long time. It's very biblical. Um, and I love the the Bible verse you're, you're pointing to there. And it's just interesting when you talk about like the nature of Jesus himself, when it talks about, you know, he was God in nature, but did not consider it something to be uh, grasped, to be held onto. So he humbled himself, stripping himself of, I guess, in some way, godly nature and becoming man in flesh. Um, which is really important. Also, when you talk about leadership, um, you have all this authority, but it's not something necessarily always to, to be grasped to. Um, you're also, as a leader, are a servant to people, which as, as your role as a husband and a father, you know, that's very important. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is an interesting deviation too. Um, again, because your channel and what you do on social media is so multifaceted, I have seen a lot more recently you have been a lot more outwardly vocal about your belief system, um, about your Christian worldview. Um, was there something specific that made you make that shift? And I mean, I don't even know if seven necessarily is a shift, but just be so much more vocal about it. Um, was it just because of what's going on in our society in general right now, where you thought it's time to start talking about these things and bringing that Christian worldview to people? And then I also have a little bit of an interesting story I wanted to tell the audience after this, after you get your response. 
So I've been given a platform and what I find from the vast majority of our followers is uh, they don't just care about gun stuff. Uh, they care about other stuff, thought leadership. And I'm on this journey and I'm just going to talk about the stuff that matters most uh, to me. And and some folks will like that. Some folks just jump around and I'm like, oh, let's look at John's training content, rock mm -hmm. on. I'm like, hey, party on, do, do that. That's great. Uh, but um, uh, other folks want to grapple with the hardest issues. Uh, I, I was always, even from the very beginning, you can go years back and I was talking about faith. Um, I'm talking a little bit more about politics than mm -hmm. I ever have before, which I despise. I hate the <laughs> politics stuff. The problem is, is I have been backed into a corner because politics swallowed everything up. You can't talk about anything now of like what guns. Oh, that's a political issue. Uh, you talk about abortion of like, well, political issue somehow mm -hmm. the weather up oh, climate change, political, everything's politics now. And so now I can't talk about anything. And as we're wearing these PC muzzles, I can't even mention Second Amendment, which is always under attack and far more so in the last few years. And if we don't speak up, we'll lose Second Amendment and then you're not able to do gun channel stuff. I understand how to get far better views and make more money. I know that I know the formula. I know it. Uh, blow stuff up, shoot a bunch of crazy stuff and don't say anything controversial but I would rather make less and have far less views. I cannot muzzle myself. I'm so irritated and angry at just the lostness that's going on and the precipitous decline of culture and masculinity in general. And as long as I have a platform, I'm going to shout our message from the rooftops because I think people direly need it. And I haven't been given a, a platform to just bring unto myself of like, I'm supposed to steward this for something good and I'm going to go down with a ship. It was something interesting you said there is the degradation of masculinity, and that's a huge issue right now in our culture. Um, how do you approach that, especially since you're raising two boys? You know, what is your approach to, you know, foster masculinity? And maybe what do you see as like some of the biggest downfalls in our culture right now in, in attacking masculinity? I mean, it, it, it'd be easier to try to pinpoint the areas that haven't been completely rooted up and turned yeah. upside down of like, you know, of uh, Matt Walsh just did his documentary. What is a woman? And, woman, and yeah. no one, no one can even answer that. Yeah. It's really answer it. <laughs> and so if you can't answer what a woman is, you don't know what a man is either. Yeah. And so that part of the difficulty, I can't just talk about masculinity. You have to define masculine. You have to talk about what it always was before. Uh, and, and, and folks just don't have a reference for it. Uh, in, in the uh, secular circles, it's not much different than someone who identifies as a man or as a woman or as a non-binary, blah, blah, blah. Like, holy cow, it's just people have no idea. Um, uh, but I would say, hey, it's at least protecting and it's providing and, and it's also uh, being present uh, it, it's uh, passing along the torch when you, you bring up sons of I need to establish rites of passage and ensure, and ensure my boys are imbued with good virtue. And I need to train up courage and the conquering of fear, standing up for others, seeking out truth with all of your might and then living and dying by it. There is a great amount of uh, hard work ethic. There's so much important. Uh, virtues that men major on 
and the world is uh, being crushed under the weight of our absence. Yeah. Um, One of my big frustrations right now, especially along the masculine discussion right now, culture is to even say, you know, if you had, like, I don't have any kids right now, but if I would have a son and I would want him to do X, Y, Z activities, because I think that would foster masculinity within him, even that is considered now, you can't do that. You know, there are no masculine activities. Like you said, there is no more husband as the, as the head of the household. There is no more of what we traditionally accepted, you know, what is a male, male activities, um, which is very frustrating. And I would maybe push the audience, you know, your audience and my audience, you know, to invest in those more traditional concepts of masculinity, because that's how we've operated historically, you know, before, you know, five years ago, some of these discussions didn't even exist that we're having right now, even just a question of what is a male female, um, but also just biblically, if you if you believe in the Bible and you believe um, in Jesus and all that, you know, there are very clear, defined roles of what a male is, what a male's purpose is, and what a female is, and what a female's purpose is. Yeah. Um, but again, kind of going on a tangent. <laughs> no, I like tangents. It's most of what I do. <laughs> most of what I do. I just, my wrath is excited, and then I go, Ugh! and then I just uh, go for it. Re- regarding uh, bringing up... Uh, sons, uh, write a passage stuff and uh, culture, you know, really hemming you in so that you can't really raise the kids the way you want to without exciting the wrath of everyone around mm-hmm. you and the social justice warriors. And then the schools are a certain way. Uh, in our tactics classes, I'll say something of like, hey, if you can't win a fight, you know, of like if you move through the fatal funnel there and they're dug in this corner of like they're going to smoke you if you come through. Hey, if you can't win the game, don't play it. Flip the chessboard over and then reset it to something you can win. And so if you think about how the board is set against the modern American family, uh, we're surrounded by social media and stuff. And our kids have access to that very, very early of it's uh, all kinds of just terrible, um, insecurity inducing pornographic gender confusion, all kinds of terrible stuff that's going to assail our young men. Uh, So you have that, then you have the school system where they're there, you know, six to eight hours with kids and then extracurricular activity. And you have no idea what those homes are Mm -hmm. and what's being taught. And then you get a little sliver of time with them around dinner and then they're off to do homework or whatever and play video games. I'm like, well, you're not really raising your kids, are you? Someone else is raising your kids. And then because you watch a sports game with them on Saturday and you see them every night, most nights for dinner, somehow you're raising your kid. You are not raising your child. The state is. His friends are raising him. They're just raising each other. Uh, And I'm not doing it to shame or condemn everyone. I'm just saying, hey, guys, with that pattern, it is very easy to guess what your kids are going to grow up to be. Uh, And now we'd love to put on blinders and be like, oh no, not my kid. You don't know my kid. My kid's awesome. He's aces. I'm like, wait till he's 22 and he's all woke. And you're like, I raised him better. You didn't raise him at all. Mm -hmm. And so, hey, get him out of public school, Uh, homeschool him. You could do it. There's so many resources for it. Start making memories and make family time. For them to get your values, they have to spend a large amount of time with you. And whatever you're invested in, you are. And uh, they're going to be invested in. Guess what? My nine-year-old's working out all the time because he sees his dad working out and doing, 
you know, my endurance stuff and some strength and speed stuff. And he's in it and they, they know how to shoot now. And uh, they're playing airsoft and they like that. And and we're doing farm chores and growing food and then uh, writing stories. And we're reading together as family and we're playing game nights and they're learning a million different things because what? Because they're around us. They're going to learn how to run every single part of my company and be in business. I'm like, guess what? All the skills they need, I'm using currently. Just follow me around, kids. You'll learn it. And homeschool ends up being actually a lot easier than people realize. You get in a good co-op and holy cow, it's good. But take your kid, take your kids back. And so you want to raise kids, your kids, right? Then raise them mm-hmm. because most of us aren't raising them. Now, some folks are not really able to pull that off. There's dual income houses. My wife and I, in the first few years of, of raising our kids, it was very, uh, you know, of like we, we, we were pretty darn deep in debt and it was, it, we really had to knuckle in and figure some stuff out. And it, it was an awful tedious road to be a single income house. And uh, yeah, it, it was brutal, uh, but we had to make, we had to decide, Hey, let's not keep up with the Joneses. We're going to drive old crappy stuff uh, and uh, live way below our means and not eat out a lot and budget and figure out how can we be single income world, a single income home in a world that pushes so much consumerism on you. You take the bait and you have to do dual income to survive. And it's your kids that pay for it. Figure yeah. out a way to downsize your life so you can actually raise your kids. And I'm sympathetic. It may take a couple years to grow into that. Yeah. And it's interesting that I'm, I'm very sympathetic to that because, you know, I, I did have an amazing father figure in my father. And he uh, he's wasn't college educate, educated by any means. He didn't even technically graduate high, high school. He had to get his GED equivalent, uh, but he worked as a correctional officer and, you know, very religious man, hardcore Pentecostal. You know, I was raised hardcore Pentecostal for the most part of my of my life. But, you know, he we were a dual income household. There's no way that they could have homeschooled us. But one of the things he did is he sacrificed heavily for his family where he would take all the overtime he could potentially take to earn the extra money to then put me and my brothers into private Christian schools, which were heavily vetted by them, uh, making sure that they were treating, uh, teaching us the right things, the right morals, the right belief systems that my father believed in and aligned with him as well. Um, So I think there's always, you know, there's a give or take to everything, you know, not everybody could potentially do homeschool, like as, as you admit, but you know, that also doesn't mean you just throw up your arms and say, you know, I'm just going to throw my kids into public school. You know, I've, right. I've done public school as well. Yeah. Um, I will say private school. The one I went to was far superior um, in just education yeah. than the public school. The amount of attention. And I think that really set me up to uh, then have the right morals in and firm education so that when I did go to the universities which heavily pushed a very specific political agenda, I was able to not then be corrupted by that because my father had invested not only in what he was doing at home, but also where he was sending me to school at a young age so that I had those morals established so that when I was faced with those other ideals and ideologies down the road, I wasn't then corrupted. And I was able to see them um, through what I believe is the correct lens because I can tell you, from undergrad, you know, I went to UC Santa Barbara. There was definitely a lot of corruption that was <laughs> attempted while I was there. And then when I went to law school, I would say maybe there was like five 
right, right-leaning religious individuals in law school. The rest is completely dominated by students who are progressives. The teachers are progressives. I even remember I was forced to, you know, this was years back, but I was forced to write a paper to pass my class, and it was advocating for transgenderism, uh, the legal basis for transgenderism, why it was correct, and there was no other deviating ideology that was allowed to be presented in that paper. Now, a lot of people always ask me, what would you do in that situation? I always recommend they do what I do. You just game the system. If you know you're going to have to be there and you need to do that for your degree, game the system, get your A, move on, um, but also just be aware of what they're trying to do. Um, yeah. It's kind of my perspective on that. Yeah. Um, I guess let's get a little bit into, I know some people were going to want to talk about gun control and gun stuff. Uh, sure. One of the hot topic things that's going on right now is the ATF's new rule on pistol braces. What is your feeling about that, John? <laughs> Gee, those guys are super swell. So <laughs> they're amazing people. I love everything they do. <laughs> that's gonna be clipped. Watch. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the the um, the violation and and just our basic constitutional rights is being so wildly uh, taken advantage of. It's hard to even know where to start. Of like, I'm still back at having a con- carry permit yeah. is unconstitutional of like it, it, the the Second Amendment says the government is not able to make any law that infringes on your access mm-hmm. to firearms and your rights. Yet you have to get permission from the government to get a carry permit that says you, you can have guns. I'm like, that's the most blatant, obvious in- infringement of like. The Second Amendment protects you from the government. Government decides whether you get a permit so that you can exercise the Second Amendment. It's mm-hmm. the most asinine thing, but because we've had it for so many decades, nobody questions anymore. I'm like, so I'm still at that is unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you get to an entire organization like the ATF is turning its wrath to figure out, you know, who can and can't have what of like, I'm still back at the permit thing. So obviously I've got a humongous problem uh, with that. Now, if you want to focus on, you know, drug cartels, trafficking arms across the border, yeah, go go get them, go get them. All right, way to go, you know, but uh, turning that governmental agency against law-abiding citizens under the pretense of protecting us, which is what tyranny always does. It says, hey, in order to, for your safety, we're going to take all your freedoms. And so uh, don't fall for it. It's not gun control. It's people control. It always has been. Yeah. Even interesting on the permit side of, you know, permit to carry. We've seen an interesting trend as far as states just saying we're fed up with this. Uh, We've had more states now than just moving to some form of constitutional carry. There are problems even with some of the state laws, but at least we are seeing a trend towards red leaning, right leaning states saying, we're not even going to deal with that anymore. Now, obviously I would prefer i'm in california so i live under the worst garbage that's out there um but i would love if we had even constitutional carry here but we've even seen i think as we're filming this right now california legislator is hearing a new bill over concealed carry and permitting in response to the supreme court's decision and they are just again flipping the board saying "Eh, we don't really care we're going to pass however we want with the whole 
vampire aspect of it where a business has to give you permission to then concealed carry at that location, even if you have a permit, just completely yeah. flipping the standard on its head, uh, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah, as far as the ATF, I mean, the, again, it's the hot topic with the pistol brace stuff. And it's funny you know, how we got here is we were having this discussion. I remember screaming on my channel when the whole bump stock stuff hit, hit. Yeah. And a lot of people said, well, we don't, I don't care about, you know, and I personally don't care about bump stocks as a, that's not the point. <laughs> yeah, but it's not, it's not the, the point. point. Um, and that's what I was screaming from the top of my lungs is you guys have to understand the administrative action and authority that's being taken as far as bump stocks. But I, I think a lot of people did not respond to that uh, again, because it's just not that cool topic that affected a lot of people. Then we had the frames and receivers issue with, you know, 80 percenters or, you know, whatever you want, the political class likes to call them. Um, and even then we did mobilize a lot of people to respond to that, to issue comments. And, um, but again, it wasn't hot enough of a topic and now pistol braces hit and it's affecting lowest estimates is like 40 million people. Um, probably way more than that. I think like a hundred million plus. And we just need to realize that the ATF is taking a lot of carte blanche right now in their activities, the hope is, of course, that we can stop this through the judicial system. But I always tell people, I even as an attorney in the Second Amendment space, in the Second Amendment litigation space, I don't even want any of these things to get to that point. You know, no. if, if we are fighting at that point, um, it's a up, uphill battle. Um, right. Because once these things get put in place, you're talking about, you know, at best case scenario, years worth of litigation, um, all while people are becoming felons, getting thrown in jail. They're attacking gun manufacturers, businesses, shutting them down and restricting our access to firearms so that we can defend ourselves. And then right. also something importantly, you mentioned, defend ourselves against a tyrannical government, both foreign and domestic, which goes overlooked quite a bit in our community about the purpose behind the Second Amendment. It's not just being armed for your own personal self-defense and your family self-defense, but also defending yourself against the government, which our founders believed in because they just came off of a war with a tyrannical government. Um, right. Which again is interesting. I, I I get a lot of tweets and responses a lot. And you know, the classic gun control argument is it mentions a militia. It's only for a militia. Well, no, if you look historically on some of the arguments uh, for the founders, the militia, it was the right was not tied directly to the militia. You know, it mentions the people, obviously the people were a subset of the militia. And even if you just talk about Supreme court precedent, that argument has had zero legal weight since 2008. Right. So why are we still even using that? Like, but it's, it, they drag us into these conversations about these weird semantics that don't even, don't even matter anymore. Right. You know, yeah. I'm worried about this executive order and people point out, hey, executive orders aren't laws. I'm like, yeah, but what he can do and what this executive order has teeth for is it can greatly expand the control of already existing organizations. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like you look at uh, the FTC and the mm -hmm. DOT and now everyone's ganging up to harass control the gun industry. It's like we're giving all these gun agents or um. I mean, ATF and FBI and, um, yeah, the, all the systems of power coming together to basically harass. And 
you know, you take an organization that you can control completely through executive order, and then you can backdoor whatever policies you want, like ATF, just with the stroke of a pen, made 40 to 100 million law-abiding citizens felons. You know, it's the same, as I understand it, the same legal penalty as having a machine gun. Yeah. As the, as you know, the SB brace or, or whatever pistol brace you have on there, uh, which has been okay for a decade. You know, <laughs> yeah, more. yeah. Ten and years so, in prison, two hundred fifty thousand dollars is your penalty. And like you mentioned, for the last ten years, I mean, even it's been legal even beyond that. But really, the, the braces themselves didn't pop up till recently. But for the last ten years, you had the ATF directly responding to letters saying these are legal. Doesn't matter if you can shoulder them. Doesn't make them into a short-barreled rifle. But then all of a sudden, because Biden says. I want to do something as far as gun control. We just are supposed to forget all that. They can erase that. They can change regular, they can change statutory definitions through regulation, which they're not supposed to be able to do, but all while we're supposed to just say, uh, yes, sir, I'll bend the knee. And um, I know a lot of people are excited about the amnesty and the free tax stamp, which I think um, if you are thinking that way, don't fall for it. It's a gun registry trap. Don't do yeah, it. And there's issues even with just the taxation ability of the ATF. Like, can they waive the $200 tax? Can the ATF itself waive that? And there could be issues down the road where it, they come to find that, you know, the ATF is not supposed to do that. And then all these people who registered with their free tax stamp, you know, you're caught into that whole loop when they say, oh, we weren't supposed to do that anyways. Um, very problematic. And I think John would be the same sentiment as me, you know, Try to keep yourself as educated as possible on these things because especially this stuff changes every single day. Right now, there's a slew of lawsuits in North Dakota, Texas, all of the places that are trying to stop the pistol brace rule. But um, yep. hopefully- Your poet society is helping fund the fight, you know? Yeah. And so uh, get involved with the Second Amendment Foundation or yeah. you know where, wherever, whoever's suing who is SB Tactor, um Firearms Policy Coalition. Uh, whatever, bring awareness, but uh, s- send out little dollars like marching soldiers to help uh, help in the fight. Yeah. And it, it really does. I know a lot of people, like, oh, money, like, oh, send money. Like, but I, I can tell you from me working in an organization, a lot of these organizations are not funded like you think. We hear yeah. a lot about the NRA, but a lot of these other organizations that do great work, like GOA, FPC, SAF, state orgs like CRPA and New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, they are not they don't have millions and millions of dollars of funds to back these lawsuits. You know, they might only have maybe a hundred thousand dollars to litigate this case all the way up to the Supreme court, which is going to cost them significantly more than that. Um, So whatever you people can do to donate, it's, it's important. Uh, I just got in the mail this morning, a letter from second amendment foundation saying, Hey, thanks for being one of our top contributors, uh, financial supporters. Uh, Warrior Poet Society, and I don't do that to just flex. I do that to inspire. Hey, yeah. we're in we're in a big fight here, uh, yeah. and so don't just think someone else is going to take care of it. You know, yeah. And right now we are anybody, fighting. Hey, I, I have yeah. issue with anybody that gets upset deeply whenever you ask them for any kind of money, especially for a good cause of like we give to our local church. Uh, we mm-hmm. give anonymously through all kinds of sources that are just private between me, whoever gets it, and God. You're not privy to that. I'm not letting anyone know that. Just know we're privately generous generous as we should be. 
Um, the pro-life movement, we have been very generous in, in this. This is good causes. And the goal is if you really believe in treasures in heaven or you really want to be a force for good in the world, then money is a very easy way to do that. Uh, you know, um, easy, I say easy. It, it is a very good, solid, noteworthy thing. And a lot of the times the people that get most upset about giving a dollar to a cause they already believe in are really just selfish and stingy. Uh, and then they'll begrudge the generosity of someone else, uh, you know, um, and uh, I think that sucks. I, I think that super sucks. So anyway, yeah, and especially when I understand people have concerns because we've seen organizations not do the right thing with funds. But if you see an organization doing the work, winning battles, making a positive impact on the Second Amendment and winning a lot of these cases or stopping certain bills at your state level or federal legislation, I don't think you should necessarily have hesitation. And I recommend I donate to all of them. I wrote, yeah. I donate to my state level orgs, FPC, GOA, SAF. Um, I support pretty much any organization that I think, you know, is doing the right thing. So it's not like I'm, you know, I've, I've been affiliated with one organization in the past, but I still always recommend donate to everybody. Cause that's what I do. I'm a member of yeah. multiple organizations and even with the NRA, I don't you know. A lot of people just talk about just dismantle the NRA. I don't necessarily think, dismantle the NRA, but if we were to have a significant structural change, um, it could still be a movement for good in our cause. Um, but I guess the one thing I want to do just to close this out is, you know, ask you what, what you got going on, what, you know, what is the warrior poet society have going forward? You know, what is your goal going forward? Uh, what should people look for from you guys? Uh, big news. And I haven't, talked about like i think this will be my first kind of public announcement outside of our own email list is of like we got a book warrior poet way so there she is in all her glory and so uh i've been working on this book for years uh it's available for pre-order right now but again man i poured a lot of uh, sweat hard I, I guess i don't really sweat writing a book that, that's not <laughs> true <laughs> but like typing so hard i'm just i was on the treadmill sweat. and i was sweating as i was typing <laughs> you're either typing too hard or you don't work out a lot John. <laughs> so uh no i've like years in the making and i've really crystallized our ethos i, I put the most important lessons for living well or i'm um, living free and dying well and so um, some of some biographical stuff of whether it's war stories or uh, very intimate kind of, you know, uh, poetry I've written. I haven't aired a lot of that, but it's actually uh, it, it's a book that people who don't like reading would even enjoy. Uh, and it speaks to goodness, not greatness, uh, uh, mastering fear, raising sons, uh, learning to dance. Uh, that's a metaphor. Uh, but um Anyway, a lot of folks that I admire said really nice things about the book. And so I think it's a good thing, but uh, it launches July 11th and it's available right now for pre-order wherever books are sold. So that's one big thing uh, that would be a great support. The second biggest thing we have going on is our streaming service. We look at it like an arc. Uh, hey, man, you, your days on YouTube are, are limited, just like mm -hmm. mine. Yeah. It's just a fact we're, we're, we're oh, yeah. building a castle on enemy terrain. We are not welcome ideologically. And we, they, uh, the algorithms have quarantined us like little viruses. And then the plan is to slowly constrict your audience and make it smaller and smaller and smaller, particularly if you're talking about any of the second amendment issues that matter or pro-life or 
pro-Bible or in whatever your value is, they hate that value. And so they're going to crush you. And so the idea is build a platform they can't crush uh, or I'd have a very difficult time doing so. And our uh, watchwpsn.com, that's our streaming service. So people sign up on watchwpsn.com and then download the app wherever apps are available of Roku and Android, iOS, Apple TV, whatever. Uh, but uh, the website's there, watchwpsn. So you can uh, see all of our classes, like our gunfighting classes or long range precision or uh, blades. We have. We just had a, a kind of a master class of sorts of how to do home education with Matt Bodro. That is a paradigm popper. That mm-hmm. is awesome. I also have uh, our new show, John Lovell Show. I know not very creative naming convention there, but the John Lovell Show and uh, a bunch of other binge worthy shows of uh, that are, are real good time from fitness to blade making, and you just got to check it out. So. That existed more as like a backup for YouTube originally. Uh, and then we started making all kinds of really good content and all of our full tactical classes went on there. We keep loading it, but I saw it as like an arc. Uh, when when it starts to rain, metaphor, poet, uh, when it starts to rain and when we find ourselves more and more censored, uh, that's a place where we can live. And, and so, but I'd need people to get on board. I need people to yeah. sign up and uh, support us there. So uh, anyway, that's what we're doing. Yeah. And I highly recommend anybody go subscribe, join. I think what it's $99 for the entire year or $9.99 a month. Um, I didn't, I don't, John didn't tell me. I just know that. Uh, yeah. uh, but it is, it's, it's an interesting place. Like John had talked about, we deal with a lot of censorship over here on these platforms and just not even just on YouTube, but a ton of other platforms, bro, Instagram, Facebook. It's so, it's never been this bad right now. YouTube has killed us. of like, we're, we got our 2019 numbers right now. of like, what? We're five times bigger. uh, Okay, guys, thanks. Screw you too. (laughs) Yeah. And I know a lot of, I'm sure you guys get this too, but I'll get a lot of comments. People like go join rumble. And it's like, well, first off, I organically post all of my videos over on Rumble. Yeah. Um, the fact that you guys are telling me to go over on Rumble and I've been on Rumble for the last three years and you don't know that just kind of shows that it's not really as viable as people say right. it is. And so that's why I appreciate what you guys are doing on the Warrior Poet Society Network is you are giving a viable alternative for people to join, you know, jump on that arc potentially yeah. early as well uh, before it begins begins to rain heavily, but you guys are also providing a lot of high quality content that is keeping people over there and engaged over there. Um, plus your new podcast or your new show, the, uh, John Lovell show, which is about as creative as my arm scholar podcast. So, (laughs) 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 but, uh, yeah, John, I just want to say thank you again for joining the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, when I reached out to you, I was, I was very happy that you said you would, you would jump on the show. And, And to me again, it's, uh, I feel very blessed in my life. Um, God willing things, you know, will continue to go the way that they have are going. And I feel very blessed that, you know, life has kind of come full circle and getting to meet you, have this conversation with you at this point when I would never have envisioned three years ago, I would ever be doing anything like this. So again, just thank you for coming on. Well, I had a great time and you're doing a great work. You're doing you. really good stuff. I, I, I am a subscriber of yours. I watch and I learn from your stuff. Uh, all the time. So your your insight, your expertise is greatly valued by folks out there who just, hey, I need some thought leadership in the Second Amendment legal space. Of, uh, I don't know what I don't know. So 
uh, teach me sensei. And uh, anyway, <laughs> she uh, said that to you. <laughs> and we talked about this uh, just via text real quick, but we'll mm-hmm. go ahead and back up all your uh, yeah. soon to post content from YouTube over on our app as well. In case all of a sudden, uh, you know, they struck you down, yeah. you wouldn't be out. So uh, yeah, we'll spray away, it. brother. Yeah. yeah. So hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, next podcast will be releasing next week. Uh, but always thank you guys for watching and never forget this nation was built by arm scholars and this nation will be maintained by arm scholars.